Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we are going to talk about how Jesus changes the old laws of the uh, the Jewish religion. So, so the, the uh, cultural laws, the uh, basically the, how you did right by God in the old way, and how he adapts those laws in the new way. And he does that in three different ways. This is based off a book by Jonathan Lund. Now, hit pause for a second. Yeah, what's up? So, uh, that was complicated, what you just said. So, here's the way I would (laughs) reword what you just said, just to see if we're saying the same thing. Okay, sure. Since we're going to have this conversation. We're going to talk about what the Old Testament laws look like through the eyes of Jesus. That... um, because people ask all the time, do the Old Testament laws still apply to us? Yeah. Can I not wear a garment of several different threads without being at risk of being Exactly. Executed? Exactly. And there was a epic scene in the TV show West Wing where the president takes on this conservative Christian activist who's upset about abortion. And uh, he just waylays her with a bunch of these old covenant laws and how these people should be killed. And so the beauty of this is we're going to see how that Old Testament looks when you look at the Old Testament through Christ. But specifically how he taught the laws. Yes. That's that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And so he serves these three functions for us. Yes. Thank you. I hope we, I mean. No, I have this this problem where um, I maybe assume too much Mm. when when I'm telling a story. Like I'll leave out details because I know them. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so I think that's great. And I okay. appreciate it. And, and, uh, and yeah, but before all that, it is, well, Joker. let's talk about the three things he serves as. Cause we'll I get, think let's get that after the Joker. Oh, story okay. Time. All right. First is Joker story time. And this week it is your turn. Okay. And I thought about telling the joke, but I thought better of it. So I'm going to tell a story. You were excited to tell a joke. I, I was, I was excited to hear it. Well, I thought I might be running out of stories, but it turns out I have a lot more. <laughs> so, uh, I'm a kid. I'm 12 years old. My dad buys me my first dirt bike, and it is a YZ80. Yamaha. And the way the way he delivered that to you was it was its own story, or is that not the first one? No, that's not the first one. Okay. That was when I was fifteen and gotcha. got the next upgrade to a bigger bike. Gotcha. So uh, I have a I have this little YZ80. It's yellow motocross bike. My dad has a YZ125. My brother has a YZ125, and we ride dirt bikes all the time together. That's awesome. Yeah, and we had uh, some of my dad's friends. And their sons had dirt bikes. So there was this place, um, just acres and acres and acres of wilderness and motorcycle trails not far from our house. Yeah. And so one Saturday morning, we're all, you know, following the leader through these trails, through the trees. We go across this river and come out the other side. And you have to, you know. Through water? Yeah. Yeah. You go down through the water. And the water's about, um, you know, knee high on your motorcycle. That's pretty, that's deep. Yeah. So it's below your gas tank, but it's anyway, and you need to get, you know, you don't want to fly through it, but you get in there and you get out. And so as I was coming up the other side, and of course I'm bringing up the rear, I'm the last guy. Why do you say of course? Because I'm the smallest guy. I'm the youngest guy. I'm on the smallest bike. Okay. And uh, so I, and my helmet was yellow to match my motorcycle. So I have this yellow helmet with a clear face shield that covers my whole face. So it's an open face helmet with a clear uh kind of like a football helmet 
Maybe, yeah. Uh, but it's yellow, and I have, of course, I have corrective lenses on because I'm, I had a vision about as bad as yours, and I was wearing these thick glasses, mm-hmm. and that's why I had this open face helmet with this plastic shield. Gotcha. So anyway, I go down through the river. So far, everything's fine. I start to climb up the other side, and it's and all of a sudden, bleh, my bike dies, and I'm oh. on a steep incline. So I I squeeze the clutch and the front brake. You know, the bike's dead. You don't need the clutch necessarily, but have what? You don't need the clutch in because the bike's dead. But but to reflex. kick it start because I can't. I either oh. have to get it in neutral so I can let the clutch out, or I have to kick start it with it in gear. Gotcha. There's no electric start on these bad boys. Yeah, for sure. So um, I cautiously give it a little kick and slide down the hill a little bit. I try another little kick, slide down a little bit more. How, and this is so steep that it wouldn't have been possible to hop off and walk no, it up. No. I'm I'm 12 years old trying to make a decision here. I'm I'm in this tight spot. <laughs> yeah. I decide to try to kick it one more time. When I tried to kick it that time, I roll down the hill, the bike rolls down the hill. We are completely I fall into the river, completely submerged. Whoa. And they're all at the top of the hill now cuz they they heard me die and try to kick it. So they're all standing at the top of the hill watching me. And Suddenly, I'm gone. The bike's gone. I'm gone. And I pop out of the water, yellow helmet first, <laughs> and, you know, kind of shake my head. Uh, we have to, they come down and help me get the bike out. We push it up the hill together. It's flooded. We have to dry it all out, finally get it to start. It's a big fiasco. But they said, when your head popped out of that water, you looked like a crazy duck. <laughs> so from then on, my motorcycle name was the Mad Duck. Mad duck. Uh huh. And one of the dads had made this really cool duck sticker and had it put on the back of my helmet, and I was forever the mad duck. That's a very positive story. <laughs> I I I think about those days, and I in my head I know that you your dad was was he loved you to death, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. But in my head, they all look at you and they just laugh and laugh. Oh, at there the was the that, hill. and there's teasing, yeah. and um, yeah. But we uh, there's also like yeah, we're all you're one of us, yeah. Um, what it died? Was that a clutch thing? Was that user error? Or did it just? Yeah, because I was in the wrong gear to climb that hill. Oh. I wasn't very experienced rider so at this time. It that. bogged down, and I was in the wrong gear. We had this is a mini story. I'll have to throw this in every now and again because this wouldn't take up a whole story time. But uh, when I was in football in middle school, there was this uh, uh, little little man, and we called him Mad Dog, and he was probably five <laughs> foot, I think. You know, and he was one of the coaches. No, uh, a player. Oh, uh, named Mad Dog. I think he was a, a defensive end. Okay. Um, he was a monster. He was very, very good at football. Mm-hmm. And he is this very little boy. And wow. uh, we called him Mad Dog because he just wouldn't. He was he, unstoppable. No, no yeah, quit. Relentless. In, in little Mad Dog. He was great. I don't remember his actual name because <laughs> I never said it probably. I only ever called him Mad Dog. But he was amazing. But I just. That's yeah, fun. Made me think of him. Yeah. Okay. So uh, this conversation is based on a book by jonathan lund as i said as i said too quickly called (laughs) (laughs) called following jesus the servant king yeah Uh, i read it in i believe my class called christian thought okay at northwest um and it's about it's mostly about covenant theology which this conversation will get into a little bit um but uh in this conversation on covenant theology he gets into three chapters on Jesus, uh, his interaction with the law and how he taught the law and how he acts in three parts as filter to the old laws, as a prism to some of the old laws, 
and as a lens to some of the old laws. And uh, and we'll get into it. And I love the concept as you think of, uh, I want to understand the Old Testament better. Yeah. Then let's look at it through the filter of Jesus. Let's look at it through the lens of Jesus. And then let's look at it through the prism of Jesus. Yeah. And so I think this is going to be, uh, I think it's going to be helpful. I hope so, because it's very much, um, it's easy to think, well, God just changed his mind. These things aren't important anymore to God. Right. Or like, you know, especially the food laws and especially at the time with how, um, how contentious these were in the early church. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, we're going to talk about uh, the circumcision law and this is the only time Jesus mentioned it mm-hmm. and he must have known or at least could have guessed that in the early church, circumcision was going to be a huge deal. Right. It was going to split some factions of the church. Right. And he doesn't necessarily clear that up um, before the fact. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm, we're not here to tell what Jesus was thinking at the time, but there's a lot of questions about this. I guess is what I'm saying. It's a very, it's a very sticky issue. A yeah. sticky wicket is the way I've heard it. Before. Right. Right. All right. Let's get going. Jesus, you're going to do a Jesus as filter. Yes, sir. That's going to be our first thing. So, so walk me through it. Okay. So, uh, um, again, in Jonathan Lund, I believe he's a faculty, he's a theologian somewhere, um, a smart guy. So, uh, <laughs> uh, it took me a few rereads of some of these wordings and stuff, but I won't be doing a ton of quoting anyway. So as filter in this role, um, these are laws that Jesus, um, uh, basically struck down. He, he didn't say, what does a filter do? A filter, it blocks. So uh, he's actually blocking some of the old law from his new covenant, from from his new people. Okay, so he's like a sunscreen. Yeah, he uses the word here as uh, as like sunglasses. Oh, okay. That there are um, he's blocking out the UF rays or exactly. whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and so he's only letting come through what he wants you to have. What he yes. wants you to understand. Yes. Okay. Uh, so the first one they bring up is is the food laws. Oh uh, no! Excuse me. I'm sorry. The laws atoning sacrifices. So the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. And he filters that out. Um, and uh, and this is more, I don't know, you can help me with this. You're much more well-read in the scripture than I am. How much does Jesus talk about sacrifices? Or is that mostly post-Jesus uh, theology? Well, um, yeah, I don't see Jesus spending much time on, you mean like animal sacrifices? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. He, uh, he overthrows the money changers in the temple, because which is uh, attached to these sacrifices at the annual feast. Sure. Because uh, they're making people trade their currency for temple currency. They're selling defective animals uh, for for the full price of a good animal and having people then worship God with a lame animal, which was forbidden in the Old Testament. Sure. So, uh, you know, there was that episode. I don't I don't I don't recollect a lot of discussion from Jesus about animal sacrifice. Well, then this is great. I corrected you earlier on when uh, you said how Jesus um how he acts in the law, and I said how he teaches. Yeah. Then this is actually the this is not how he teaches because this is how he interacts. This is with how it. he yeah his uh, his part in that system. So with his atoning, uh, how he acts as a filter to the atoning sacrifices is um is obviously we don't do atoning sacrifices anymore, and this was basically um the system by which God could continue to um you know abide by and and smile on the Israelites um uh. The, the priests at the time, the line of, of Aaron, they had a system um, to sacrifice animals for the sins of the people. That's basic, That's a simple, yeah, a simple without, the the remi- without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You had annual sacrifices. You had scapegoats where they would confess the sins of Israel over a goat and send it out into the wilderness. 
So there's this constant need to keep coming back for atonement because it's not permanent. Yeah. And so uh, Jesus uh, filters that out by becoming, obviously, and this is building block stuff, but by becoming the scapegoat of of the people. Mm-hmm. The um, sacrificial lamb. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and then so... Which as you talk, as you think about the Passover lamb, this is what's so significant about him being the lamb of God. Uh, you had to slaughter the lamb. You had to spread the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of the home so that the death angel would pass over your home. Mm-hmm and not kill the people inside of it. Jesus becomes our Passover lamb, and his blood covers us so that we do not suffer the death that is the appropriate punishment of our sin. Yeah, and the um, the originally on this part, because I feel like the assumption is with a lot of this stuff that Jesus, um, that our role now is actually easier than the Israelites had it. Mm. Um, because we don't have to deal with a lot of this stuff. Right. And so the filter one, especially you would think that, but uh, but Lund points out and, and emphasizes the point of these is actually a heightening of your responsibility or of your, it should be more Oh, the bar goes the higher. Bar go, the bar goes higher. So here, um, there are no atoning, atoning sacrifices, but the blood that you're relying on is the blood of Jesus. So mm-hmm. like... Not the blood of goats and lambs, right. and, and, but, but, the, but the blood of God himself. Exactly. So... Uh, really crazy. He talks about um, the, I believe it's Jeremiah. I need to stop um, throwing out random verses that I can't actually cite. Uh, but in the Old Testament, um, in the atoning sacrifice system, uh, he talks about how uh, there, um, he was frustrated with the people of Israel who were relying on the blood sacrifice system and doing whatever they wanted. Right. They said, well, my, my sins are covered anyway. I'm good to go. And he said that the um, the sacrifice does not qualify for them, those people. And in the same way, but heightened, we have it now with people living however they want, saying, because, hey, Jesus died for me. I got my ticket. I'm good to go. Exactly. So the the um, conclusion that Lund draws is how much more egregious is that mm-hmm. when your sacrifice is the blood of Jesus, the blood yeah. of God? Yeah. yeah. Which is talked about in the New Testament that, you know, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Yeah. And not with silver and gold and not with the blood of animals, but with but with the precious blood of Jesus. Yeah. Next, he goes on to the food laws. Um, and, uh, a lot of this again, similar to the circumcision thing. A lot of this is kind of handled post, uh, resurrection. Yeah. Um, uh, but Jesus does say, you know, they, they're talking about him, uh, about the food laws and he says, you know, it is not what washing comes into their hands. Man. Exactly. Your, yeah. your, your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And he says, it is not what comes, goes into a, a man that defiles him, but what comes out of a man. So this is removing of much of the, um, the cultural kind of food laws, mm-hmm. Uh, and Lund makes this assertion, which I didn't, you might've heard about this. I had no idea, but that the Pharisees at the time had taken the priestly, um, um, standards. Mm-hmm. The priests were called to do certain things like the ceremonial right, washing right. and the, a lot of these, um, uh, really stringent regulations. And they had started enforcing them on the people, on everybody mm. just to be more righteous, just yeah. to, to be you know, more devout. And, uh, so this was a lot of what Jesus was really, really, um, laying into him about was these food laws. A lot of these weren't even like the washing wasn't even supposed to be for the people anyway. Mm-hmm. So it was supposed to be for the priests for the, um, you know, a, a especially what's, stringent thing. Yeah. So what's interesting is, um, they were so hyper obsessed with obeying the laws that they made laws about the laws. Right. <laughs> so that you would be three layers away of actually breaking the law. That way, if you broke this law, at least you weren't getting close yet to breaking the real right. law. Fences around your fences. Yeah. 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 So uh, he removes these food laws, filters them out, uh, and the 
the elevation here is that it's not a, that it is about what comes out of your body. It mm-hmm. is about your heart and your actions. Uh, Jesus says, you know, like a cup where you polish and clean the outside and the inside's nasty and gross. Yeah. Um, uh, he elevates that to say that these checking these boxes for God will not save you. Right. That is a heart issue. And, and, um, which is really important to, to, to get our arms around right there, John, is yeah. that, is that, um, doing the right thing, pushing the right buttons was never God's desire, but it was about a, a heartfelt obedience to God and that you would do those things because you trusted in this God who was your deliverer. And so to just go through the motions and do the actions was not, um, was not what God had in mind from the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's definitely a through line. Uh, and I'm taking a little longer, so I'm going to blow through one and then we'll focus more on the, the fourth one. Uh, circumcision we've already touched on yeah how he says um uh you know uh the outward circumcision is one thing my people will be circumcised with their heart yeah. of, of of a a soul um personhood circumcision you have a, a a new heart a vulnerable heart um it is elevating that law removing the actual flesh mm-hmm. um um expectation and the divorce law this one was very very interesting to me uh he actually uh um heightens the standards here in a, in a physical sense. So he talks about how uh, Jesus does. I mean, Jesus talks about how the uh, Mosaic divorce laws were concessions for the hardness of his people's heart. Right. They were, uh, God allowed them to do this because they were so stubborn and, and brittle and, and hard hearted, hard hearted. Yeah. Um, and so Jesus actually removes the concession that Moses had made. He mm-hmm. filters out a law that was, um, that was making their lives easier in, in, in a, Right. Kind of perverse way. And he says, you know, what God has joined together, let no man separate. A man shall leave his father, mother, and cling to his wife. This is how it's intended to be. And this is, you know, short of this is sin. And uh, and he does make the concession for uh, adultery, or, or Paul does. I don't remember. Um, so that was really, really interesting to me that he removes, he, in, in this case, in a literal sense, he heightens the standard. Yeah. And so the filter is to filter out the noise around the laws and, mm-hmm. and what obedience actually looks like to get to the point, which is, this is a matter of your heart. This yeah. is a, that, that you sacrifice those animals as an act of worship in your heart, cleansing your heart before God, because you long to be pure before him versus, yeah, get that animal in here. Let's get this done. Cause I got right. a party to go to. I got to be somewhere. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, like they thought God was just playing a game, like a weird game where he mm-hmm. kept weird scores. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, if you will keep score this way, I'll, then I'll, I'll play. I'll play. In Manhattan right now, um, high above the skyline, mm-hmm. there is a thin wire that boxes in a four mile section of Manhattan. What? And it is a rabbinical wire that turns that four mile box into a word they have in the old, in, in the Jewish faith so that they can work in that zone on the Sabbath and not be violating the Sabbath. What? Yeah. So it is uh, another one of these demonstrations of, look, what matters is the rule, not the heart of the rule. Yeah. And so Jesus, he filters out the noise of the rules to try to get you to see what, here's what we're talking about, not circumcision of your your penis. We're talking about circumcision of your heart. And this was always intended to be, a part of your profound connection to the father and, uh, and that these laws had intentions. So yeah. he's not saying that the, 
that the that laws God, are bad. Right. Yeah. Or that God changed his mind. Yeah. It's that these were intended to get you to see certain things about God and to yeah. live certain ways for God and with God. Which is a great segue. Let's talk about lens. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, the lens idea is that Jesus serves as like corrective lenses, whereas you look at the Old Testament, what you see is uh, his this lens of Jesus helps you see what the focus point for the Father was in those scenarios. So a lens focuses light and brings things into clarity. Gotcha. So in those cases, Jesus doesn't really, uh, he doesn't do anything to the law itself. He doesn't he doesn't address the law itself, but what he does is bring back into focus an aspect of what the law was doing in you. So, uh, for example, uh, he 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 heightens the focus on mercy and love rather than uh, this obsession with a particular law. Hmm. So, uh, so love. He they asked him, "What's the greatest commandment?" Here's a great example of this. Sure. What, what is the greatest commandment? He he says, "To love the Lord your God with everything you got." And the second one is like it. And so now what he does is he brings, he lets you see that to love God and not love what God loves is to not love God. Gotcha. And so he lets you, he, he brings this focus on, let me tell you what it means to love God with everything you got. It means to love people the way you love yourself. So kind of unpacking a law that was, that maybe was um, not as. That was myopic. Yeah. yeah. And bringing a deeper uh, layer to it. So uh, loving one's neighbor then is a means of acting toward their good because of your great love for God the Father. Right. And so uh, he helps you see with this lens that if you love God, you love people. And if you don't love people, then you don't love God. And then thinking about uh, the Jews had this perspective that they would not eat with sinners. This (laughs) was... This was a big deal to the Pharisees and to the Jews that that if a righteous person shared a meal with a sinner, that uh, it was a it was a uh, affirmation of the sinner's lifestyle. Gotcha. It was an endorsement of the sin, and so it was a it was a uh, it would be viewed as a unrighteous act to sit at a table and break bread with someone who was actively living in sin, a sure. prostitute, a tax collector, blah, blah, blah. This is why they were so upset with Jesus all the time because he hung out with these people. Yeah. And they would think in their mind, if he knew what this woman did for a living, he would get out of this room because this is a ding on his righteousness. Right. And Jesus uses the lens of uh, God's heart to show them that, in fact, this is why God, this is who God cares about. And he uses the line, you know, it's not the healthy who need a sick, but a, but the, need a doctor, but the sick. Yeah. And the truth is, the Pharisees are sick too, but they don't believe they are. Right. So he's showing that um, God wouldn't avoid the sinner. He would pull up a chair next to the sinner. Because if you wanted to reflect the heart of God, you would be a lover of your enemies and a lover of the sinful. And so he, he uh, brings this... Uh, lends to what purity is to them purity is being away from evil doers and being away from evil for jesus purity is moving toward the broken moving toward the sinner 
and it's all uh, like these laws. It is um, like the the uh, the food laws. He's concerned about your actual um, heart and about your your um, your your insides, basically the the internal you. So who you hang out with, you know, it is important. Like you you always say, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Um, people are susceptible to influence, um, but it's not a ding on your righteousness. It's it's. Um, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the implication of Jesus' rebuke about all this is that uh, what he's trying to make crystal clear with the lens is that any traditional application of the law that gets in the way of showing love and mercy to another person should be rejected as a dead wrong interpretation of the law. Hmm. So if if in your mind obeying this law means I need to not be loving toward a broken person, sure. then you don't understand the law. And you should reject that form of obedience um, because that's not what God had in mind. Right. So if we're new covenant people, why are we oftentimes caricatured in the public eye as the least loving and the least concerned about mercy? When in fact, if you look at life through the lens of Jesus, love for our neighbor should flow out of us and it should be the expression of how the law is obeyed. Yeah. So not only do you obey the law, but you obey the law in such a way that it shows mercy, kindness, and love to people who are far from God. And um, there's an interesting distinction here. There are passages in um, the early church writings about, um, you know, um, if a brother does this, this, and this, don't even eat with such a person. Right. And uh, what's different there? What's the distinction? Yeah, between that's that great because and... that's a brother or sister in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the reason you are to cut off fellowship with them is to uh, confront their sin and get them to deal with it. Then, gotcha. then and to say, man, you've got to quit cheating on your wife, John. And if you refuse to stop cheating on your wife, I'm not going to break bread with you anymore because you're claiming to be a follower of Jesus. And you're living in this blatant disobedience to God. I wish you wouldn't use my name in, in, in examples <laughs> like that. So, uh, so the point of my distancing myself from you is to get you to wake up. Mm-hmm. And then when you wake up, I restore fellowship with you and we're right back to breaking bread. But I wouldn't do that with a person who's cheating on his wife who doesn't know God or claim to be righteous. Because he doesn't. The expectation there is... Um, is not that he's being a hypocrite. He's 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 being himself. Right. He's being who he is. Yeah. And so when you think about the Good Samaritan story, uh-huh. so this is a great spot where Jesus shows a lens on what it's like to be obedient to the law. So he tells this story because he, the, you know, this guy uh, says, "I've obeyed all the laws. That's awesome. What what do I still lack?" And he says, "Well, let me tell you a story." Yeah. And he tells the story about the priest walks right by this guy. And priests would have because to touch, if the guy's dead, first of all, then if you touch a dead body, you are unclean. Right. And so maybe the priest is on his way to a religious ceremony and he can't become unclean or else he won't get to participate in that. If the guy's nearly dead, then there's another justification for why a priest would not engage with him. And so what Jesus is doing is these guys were thinking, well, right, you would walk right by. To be righteous, to be the most righteous. Yeah. And so the question, who is my neighbor, ought not to be asked. No thought is allowed that a human can be a non-neighbor. Hmm. And so... Because the Samaritans were not their, their neighbors in the literal sense, in that, in that story. Exactly. And it was a Samaritan who rose up to be the hero. The wounded guy's not a Samaritan. Yeah. Uh, and so one cannot define, define one's neighbor. One can only be a neighbor. 
This is what Jesus, because he finishes the story and says, which one of these was a neighbor to the man who was a, who was left for dead? Yeah. And they say, well, the Samaritan was. And and they have to admit that, you know, with, you know kind of gravel in their mouth. Oh, the yeah. Samaritan was. And it wasn't, it wasn't whose neighbor was the wounded man. It's who, who would the wounded man say, that's my neighbor. Right. And so you can't identify neighbors. You can only be a neighbor. This is where G- Jesus brought this lens to love your neighbor as yourself. You don't need to go around identifying who your neighbors are. You need to go around being a neighbor to every human being you meet. Yeah, it's not it's not descriptive. It's it's prescriptive. I guess is is the way you you put it. You've put it before. Yeah, you don't use it to say, "Well, who would be my neighbor?" You use it as a uh, like a motivation, I guess. Yeah, Sabbath. One more is the Sabbath. You know, there was a ton of conflict about the Sabbath. Jesus was despised by the Pharisees because he would heal on the Sabbath. Yeah, uh, his disciples picked wheat and ate it on on the Sabbath. They really had a problem with the way Jesus observed the Sabbath. And the idea that Jesus shows is that the original intention of the Sabbath was to declare the truth about the created order and about God himself, that God's cessation of work was not because he was tired. (laughs) And human cessation of work is not about being tired. Hmm. It it is the truth of God's assessment of the world, which is – it expresses faith in God's continuing provision. I don't have to work today. I get to enjoy a day because God is going to provide for me even though I don't work. Right. And so it was this trust that was seriously damaged uh, in their view of the Sabbath. Sabbath offers to humanity a realignment to the posture of reception and dependence on God, which was rejected in the garden as they chose to take the fruit and reach, you know, pursue their own fulfillment apart from God, that to ignore the Sabbath was to do that. But the point of the Sabbath was not that you need rest or that God needed rest or that you were supposed to just obey this rule. Um, so Jesus used the example of feeding a person's animal on the Sabbath. Well, wouldn't yeah. you feed them? And rather than a Sabbath violation, caring for people gets at the core of the Sabbath because animal owners are the necessary conduits through which God provides for the animal, and we are the necessary conduits through Mm. God provides for each other. So Sabbath cannot be about not working. Yeah. It's about blessing. And again, in in the way they did these things, it was, you know, it was again about this weird scorekeeping thing. It was how much weight can I carry? How many steps can I take? Exactly. They were fine-tuning the rule so that you didn't break the rule. And more than a simply a day off from work, uh, Sabbath amounts in Jesus' lens to a celebration and an acknowledgement of God's sustaining provision both for that day and for the rest of the week. Um, and so mindless, mindless observance of the Sabbath was not obedience. Yeah. And so Jesus brought a lens of focus to that. Awesome. Yeah. So he goes into other rules, you know, where the antithesis, where you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart. That's that's the prism. Oh. We're getting there. Okay. We're getting there. All right. Before all that, we're going to do. show and tell. Yeah, show and tell. Uh, So it's my turn this week. Um, And, uh, okay, so what I've got for you is a cube made up of smaller cubes. Oh. And it is three cubes by three. Three uh, cubes by three. Yeah, so it's it's three by three okay. and three by three. That's it's small. Just, yeah. And each side has one color. 
There's red and blue and green and orange and white. Because in a cube, there would be how many sides? Five. Yeah. Yep. Right? No, yeah. six. Six? Then I'm probably forgetting one. Four sides, top and a bottom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're right. So I forget which one I'm forgetting. It is a Rubik's Cube. Of course. Of course. Uh, it is a completed Rubik's Cube. Oh, you actually solved the puzzle. Mm-hmm. I've never been able to, you know, 90 seconds into that thing, I'm ready to throw it against a wall. <laughs> I actually, one time when you were kids, peeled off the stickers and restuck them in order so that I could pretend I actually solved the Rubik's Cube. You told me about that. I got it as a gift for Christmas from my mother-in-law years and years ago, probably two or three years ago. Mm. And uh, and they come with some instructions, and there's all over the internet. There's really hacks how to, for how to do it. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, you just follow these systems, and you just do it. Because I've seen people solve a Rubik's cube with the cube under the table. They're not even looking at it. Yeah, they do that. Blah 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 blah, blah and then they show it to you completely finished. And so I thought that was dumb. <laughs> if you do speed solving and stuff, and this is your thing, I don't think that's dumb at all. I thought it would be. I thought for me, it would defeat the point. I see. It would be like. Uh, um, like you get a G.I. Joe and then it says, okay, this is how you play with it. Then do this story. And it's like, no, I, I do I that. I make up the story. Yeah, I do that yeah. part. So it's like, no, I solved this puzzle. That's the oh, point. Oh, so doing it their way would be not fun for right. you. Right. The whole point was to solve the Crack cube. the code yourself. For a while, I called it, uh, I called the action solving cube. So Lindsay would be like, hey, help me with this. I'd be like, I can't, babe. I'm solving cube. <laughs> that was mostly as a joke. Anyway, so sporadically, really intensively at first and then sporadically over the past years, I would get into some solving cube, you know, I'd get yeah. into, get into a season. And I solved um all but one side was basically how I don't even know how you could do that even. It took me a long time to figure it out. Uh but uh, I did it all but one and then I was just it, I hit a hard wall at that yeah, point. Yeah, cuz you're going to ruin the other five exactly. to get that side. Exactly. So um uh really really tough and I would basically just uh mix it up and then get to where I'd been. Mix it up, get back to where I'd been <laughs> over and over and over again. And eventually I saw, I, I thought, cannot believe that this is enjoyable to you. It was, it's a pastime. It yeah. was every time I had a breakthrough, man, the high was insane. <laughs> insane. Probably what you get from like rock climbing or something. It was nuts. That's amazing. Every time I had one of these I've never experienced that with that kind of a thing. Have you went like when you're watching like a, a mystery show and you're like, I got it. I know. Exactly oh, you mean like happened. broad church where I told you who killed, who, who committed the, the murder in the second episode, save it for story time, <laughs> but you know, the feeling I do. It's that, but yeah. really, really intense. Uh, and, uh, so anyway, I figured, I bet you, if I get to this point enough times, eventually when I solve the last wall, the very last one will be solved on its own, uh, just by happenstance, just uh, by, just by chaos. And it worked. Really? Eventually. This was probably about a month ago. I'm sitting. Uh, oh, so you just did this a month ago. Yeah. You finished the cube. Yeah. And uh, and we had my my uh, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, and, and mother-in-law all over, all sitting around in my apartment. And bam. And uh, and I'm just doing it while we're talking, and then it just happens. And I was just there, and I was like, and I look at Lindsay, my mouth's like wide open. And, uh, and I didn't say it then. They were about to leave, so I let them go, and then I was like, I solved the cube. And, you didn't let uh, mother-in-law know that you did it? No, I guess not. I should have. She gave it to me. It was her gift. Yeah. Huh. I guess I'm a, I'm a bad gift recipient. <laughs> so if you are into Rubik's Cubes, you think, well, you didn't even solve You don't even know what you did. And Yeah, you couldn't do it again. I you could. Did. It would take me a long time. I would just do the same thing. It would take I, you months again, but you'd just be guessing a bunch, you know. Yeah. So I guess. I took, I took a Rubik's Cube, mixed it to hell and back, and then solved it without the internet. 
And I, and and that's I'm, pretty amazing. That's exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I haven't touched Drop it since. Drop the mic. Yeah, I have not touched it since. It is still perfectly solved. Okay, we'll put a picture of that on our Instagram account. And yeah. So you can show a picture of the six sides. At least you can list the colors for the sides we can't see. So <laughs> if we you know can't what. tell, I don't actually have it in front of me. But I knew, you know what a Rubik's Cube yeah. looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Hey, listen to the commercial. We'll be right back. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com, where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. We are excited about this last um, kind of uh, service Jesus gives us to understand Old Testament law, and that is he serves as a prism. Now, if you're familiar with prisms, you can hold a prism up to light and you can see rainbows come out the Mm -hmm. other side. And so the idea is that this Old Testament laws go into Jesus and they come out with these multicolored dimensions of understanding the depth of God's wisdom and his application to our life. Um, I'm setting this up, John. I hope I'm yeah. not setting the bar too high. No, because you're, yeah. I love the, the prisms are cool to me. Uh, when I was a little kid and I saw my first one, I just really liked that concept that light possesses all of that color yeah in itself even though you can't see it right and so what this is showing is that 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 the old testament is rich with things for us that you don't see at first glance and jesus helps break those different colors out so you can understand the depth of what god was trying to say yeah and i got to tell you reading this for class and reading it for fun uh, it's a way different different experience because in class i was like man like all these questions about what the prism is i "I don't know (laughs) and then reading for fun it's not that complicated i just was having a bad attitude about it uh, so, but it is, it is interesting because really what these are like w- with the divorce one that, that I told you about the, he filtered out the old divorce law and actually replaced it with a more stringent one right. for, for, um, Christ followers. Um, and these are all of that. These are all elevating the old law without removing the original. So that one actually removed the divorce law. This is maintaining the actual expectation and then leveling it up, actually going higher than that. So, um, and they're all kind of in the same vein. Uh, it starts with elevating the murder prohibition. So saying you okay. shall not murder. Yeah. Obviously he does not filter out the murder law. You right. still can't murder people, <laughs> <laughs> but he says, you know, anyone who says uh Raka to a brother or who hates you in their fool. heart. Yeah, yeah. Has already committed murder in their heart. That's astounding. We, we clearly don't believe that in the way we use our mouths. I know uh, in among Christians, but that's an astounding thing to say. Yeah. And another, uh, he makes a lot of, again, this is a scholar, so he makes a lot of cultural notes that I had didn't know, or at least wasn't fully aware of. With this one, uh, Lund writes about how the how names in um, the that culture oh, were yeah, way more deal. important. Big deal. Way, way, way more important. So it's calling someone a name is like saying, 
basically saying that they are yeah your name is your identity yeah if if uh you know jim means faithful friend so you would be faithful friend yeah and now you're changing their name from faithful friend to fool to idiot yeah and which is your identity your and, and it's amazing and the, it's That's fascinating like, in the old testament how yeah. many uh people became their names yeah and when you think about the the power i'm stealing your thunder here for a second no go go for it when you think about the power of being called something all the time yeah and in our culture people know that when their dad says you idiot you're stupid you'll never amount to anything and you're being called these names how do you actually become that or you feel imprisoned to that yeah or you take on that that must be who i am Mm -hmm. and they understood the power of that so they named their children very carefully and celebrated that they were telling you all the time, you're faithful friend, John, you're faithful, you are courageous, you are, you know, whatever those names mean. For sure. And so I think that's not to let us off the hook that it's saying, hey, calling, our, calling your buddy a dumb name now isn't as big a deal. Dingleberry. Right. <laughs> but that's not, that isn't what, quite what Jesus was talking about. Right. Insofar as like you're actually saying, hey, you're worthless. Like, you are that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really, really intense. So, um, but elevating that. Um, to say again to these these Pharisees were saying, "Hey, I've never murdered anybody. I can't be held accountable to that law." Right. And yes, you can because you have a rotten heart because you have this hard heart. Uh, he does Man. it again with the adultery prohibition. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. Still, still the law. But if you even look lustfully at a woman with your eyes, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, just this elevation of the expectation. Um, and uh, and again, the heart issue. That, uh, yeah, you could say, yeah, I never cheated on my wife, but if you're, you know, looking at porn all the time, or if you're, uh, uh fantasizing about women all the time, yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because in your heart, you're desiring that and giving into that. It's interesting. You know, uh, he raises the bar on these laws and yet people who embrace that, have, not all people, there've been people in, mm-hmm. in my pastoral life who embrace that, but who say that the tithe is an old Testament concept and therefore yeah. not applicable. And I'm like, well, watch this. Watch what he does to hate and murder. Watch what he does to adultery. What do you think he's doing to giving? Uh, yeah, you're right. He doesn't emphasize the tithe because God owns it all. And he, he emphasizes all of it is his. He acts as the prism there, too, where, yeah. where he says, yeah, not just the 10%, but everything. All of it. With the, the rich man. Sell everything you've got and give yeah. it for. Yeah. Uh, this one was interesting. I thought this should be. I didn't write this book. This guy is much smarter than me. He could probably solve a Rubik's Cube in one year, not three. <laughs> uh, he, this one is revising the justice provision. So um, you've heard it said, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's oh, right, the actual, right. that's the old law. Yeah, that's about justice, that if you break my tooth, mm-hmm. then somebody's supposed to break yours on my behalf Yeah, to pay for that. And this was uh, one accurate punishment, so the punishment always fit the crime, mm-hmm. was because it was, you know. Now, like that way, that. if you broke my tooth, we aren't breaking your neck. Right. Uh, and it was, yeah, exactly. It was to limit uh, a punishment and to, to to keep it appropriate. Right. Uh, and um, in ideal, it was actually supposed to limit uh, cycles of violence because um, because you knew the punishment would be sent to you as well. So you know, yeah. if you if you just stopped, things would stop. Uh, but this is a he re- revises this and says, but instead, I say, you know, um, uh, uh, turn the other cheek. Basically, love you know, and and this goes into the next one, which is extending the love command, which is. You've heard it said, love your friend, hate um, your enemy, hate your enemy, but uh, love your enemy, pray for your enemy. So these are, um, these are extensions of those laws. And I would almost put both these in the filter law because he does filter out the eye for an eye, tooth for tooth command. Oh, you're right. Yeah. They, he takes, he blocks that part out 
and get you to the heart of it, mm-hmm. which is actually, um, um, again, raising that bar for his people. Because, uh, and again, if you're looking at the intent, if the intent was um, was accurate punishment, that's not really a part of this. But if the if the real intent was to stop um, acts of violence, if that's the real root of the right. justice law, then what better, what more efficient way to do that than this? Than to love your enemy, than to turn the other cheek. Because if there's any kind of spiraling violence, it stops when you turn the other cheek. There's there's no there's no retaliation. Violence begets violence, but then that violence begets more violence. Right. And the only way for it, that to break stop is somewhere. the chain has to break. I love the the line there where in the scriptures where Jesus says, uh, "Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, bless those who uh, do not curse, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven." Yeah, this is what He does, and if you want to be His kid and bear His image, this is what you will do. Yeah, and a lot of these, uh, like Lund again writes um, with the the "you fool" thing, mm-hmm. and uh, and a lot of these, you know, um, uh, with Jesus. Um, going against anger, saying that you can't feel anger in your heart and be a son of God, uh, and how these are not just, like, it's not calling your friend an idiot. It's not um, It's not being mad at somebody. Uh, it, these are these are uh, directed, like, because Jesus uses um, a curse word. He uh, is angry at people, but he's not, I think, uh, maybe you could sum it up in the um, who your enemy is. So your enemy is not flesh and blood. It is principalities, mm-hmm. powers, authorities. So he's not angry, uh, or at least... I'm sure he was angry at those people it's in the temple specifically um, um, clearing the temple. Mm-hmm. He he's furious and he acts out in anger when he uh, the man with the withered hand. Right. The Pharisees say, you know, how can he heal on the Sabbath? And he's and he's furious with them. Yeah. Unbelievable that they are more concerned about the Sabbath than this poor guy's hand. Right. So but these are um, it's not hatred. It's not uh, malice. Uh, he's angry at their hard hearts. And and I'm sure a big part of it comes from his sadness. Um, so it's, it's not to say that you can't experience anger when you hear about like sex trafficking or, 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 uh, a kid being molested. You, you are not sinning when you feel anger at those things, right. I guess is, is really right. what I'm saying. But, um, but that's it though. That's the last of the, of okay. The so I, I understand, you know, lens helps me see the focal point of the law. Yeah. I understand prism. It amplifies, uh, how far that law goes in terms of your heart and revealing. Yeah. Filter, I'm still a little uh, rough on, so help me with this. Sure. So uh, you used the food laws example. So um, all these dietary restrictions in the Old Testament, pork, you know, things like that, certain animals. Mm-hmm. Um, you, so if he's filtering that out, would you understand it to mean that those – Dietary restrictions were about health, not about necessarily purity. Uh, a lot of it was. But um, then they defined it as purity. If you eat something you're not supposed to eat, you're impure. And Jesus' filter is, no, no, that's not what makes you impure. Exactly. You're impure because what's coming out of your mouth and the hatred and you know the cursing, whatever. Um, but what was the deal with the food laws in the beginning then? Why were they there? I think, and and uh, I don't remember Lund specifically talking about this part, but a lot of these laws were cultural to set the people of God apart, mm-hmm. uh, to say, "Hey, uh, uh, the Israelites, the the Hebrews, they don't do this. They mm-hmm. you can they are distinct in this way. You can see them in this way." Uh, and so to differentiate the people of God from all other people, mm-hmm. which now these new understandings, the filter, the lens, and the prism, do the same thing. They differentiate us 
from common culture. Exactly. So you could say, well, that man hasn't, I've, I haven't heard this guy speak bad about anybody in the three years that I've known him. Yeah. And that is a signifier. That is right. how you know I'm a person of God. That um, That's off the top of my head. Um, and a, and a similar thing with the, the um, with how cultural it was. So he's removing this cultural aspect because this is right before, um, you know, what's the word I'm thinking of? Before uh, uh, the kingdom of God went, went global. Before right, it became, right, you know, right. before borders ceased to matter in the yeah. kingdom of God. Um, so it could be a cultural thing. Uh, I wish I had a better answer to that question. Let me ask you this. After processing these three concepts, are there still parts of the Old Testament that confuse you that these have not helped solve? Um, yeah, and most of those are because um, these are um, laws. Laws. These are not events. These are systems, right? Right. Uh, most of the things that give me pause are events, mm-hmm. not not systems. So in some of the systems, but a lot of them, um, so like you talked about on, I think it was last Wednesday, maybe it was on Sunday, uh, you talked about how the woman caught in adultery. Mm-hmm. The actual law was that the woman and the man would both be, uh, could be held accountable up to death. Mm-hmm. And only if whoever caught them, they had to be caught in the act, and whoever caught them had to have not been able to stop it. If right. they had been able to stop it, then all this wouldn't have happened. So yeah, if I watch you walking to her house, I make no effort to stop you from going right. in there. And then I drag you out to stone you to death. That was unacceptable. Exactly. So, a lot of these laws are actually, it's still a death, it's still capital punishment, it's still very brutal, but it actually had a lot more kind of um, provision and its intent was more clear uh, that it was um, um, cautionary. It was, it was don't do this and uh, you can't just use this, like you're not supposed to revel in it. You're not supposed to revel right. in killing these people exactly because you waited, you were just like, oh, I'm going to catch these guys. It yeah. was, so uh, the laws, I guess, the Old Testament laws, um, although the harshness of them, especially now, um, is is hard to stomach, I guess. I definitely have more issues with incidents, with um, mass uh, murders. Mass murders and, you know, and, yeah. Wipe out the whole place. Don't leave anything alive. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, when I think about the um, the capital punishment portions of this, one thing that this is, this is the way I process all of that is that um, – I don't know if the phrase corporate solidarity is the right phrase, but God treated Israel as one man. Mm -hmm. So if there was anybody in Israel sinning, the whole nation was uh, sinful. And so uh, you had to have zero tolerance for sin in the camp. Mm. If someone among you is violating God's heart, kill them. Not for every minor offense, but, you know, to deny and defy God. For a child to rebel against his father, um, that cannot be tolerated. And because Israel's treated as one person. Yeah. And what that is a picture of for us is that you are the one person. So now you, John, cannot tolerate thinking lustfully about a woman, let alone sleeping with her. And that and- every ounce of sin must be drilled out of the camp for you. And must be killed, and that's with uh, Jesus saying, "If you know, if your right hand causes you to sin, pluck Cut it, it off." Saying it yeah. at, at almost, uh, who's the guy? Uh, Origin, I think his name was, who actually castrated himself yeah. way back when. That's this is not really what he's talking about. With almost any means necessary, take it very seriously. Take yes. your sin very seriously. And when I so so when I read those, I realize this is how radically God wants me to view my own sin. Mm-hmm. And Israel as a nation represents me. 
and that's the the unleavened bread like like yes, the, the yes. um the yeast and any amount of yeast leavens the whole lump yes yeah yeah all right so what's your big takeaway from this whole conversation big takeaway uh was kind of this was challenging because like i said earlier uh, i walked in thinking that we have it easier than the the Israelites oh, right did. right glad and, we don't live in those days exactly and turns out our expectation is um is astronomically higher <laughs> um and uh and we know i know there's grace so so when jesus says you must be perfect as your father is perfect mm-hmm. um uh he's calling you to be perfect as your father is perfect uh and there is uh you know uh, i write to you that you may not sin but if you do there is provision for your sin you have an advocate with the father yeah. jesus the christ the holy one who is interceding for you so we have grace and uh lund's big point with all this is the standards higher because we have the spirit. Mm-hmm. We have the actual indwelling and the ability to do more than the Israelites could morally. Yes. Yeah. So if he you, wouldn't call us to this if, if we were still If the you same didn't people. have the Holy Spirit in you, he couldn't expect you to be able to do this. But the empowerment of God himself in you makes it possible. Exactly. And uh, that raises questions with, you know, well, then how come I don't see a lot more of this <laughs> if we're supposed to be en masse a spirit-filled people? Um, but maybe that's a different conversation. So let's just finish our podcast with your one single sentence answer to that question. Why don't you see more of it? Uh, because we're not as on mass. We're not as spirit filled as we should be. Okay. According to this model. Yeah. I would say my answer to that is that churches have made a career out of teaching you all about grace and not about expectation of obedience. And so Hmm. uh, the bar has been so low that people are living up to it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a long sentence, but we'll we'll let it go. All right. Hey, thanks for listening today. Love to hear from you. You can email us at info at jimandjohn.com. No H in the John. Visit our website. And we have this new thing on our Instagram account. John, talk about the uh, link tree. Yeah, uh, it's a link tree. So in our bio, uh, you'll see a little uh, link. Click on that and you'll have a bunch of buttons to go directly where you want to with our stuff. Yeah, you can register for our newsletter. You can go to the blogs. You can uh, go to the episodes. all, All kinds of things right there from your Instagram account. Yeah, and so if you see, a, a, we, we post about our blogs whenever we post them on Instagram. So if you're scrolling through Instagram, see a little post, go to the link tree, and you can get there right from your Instagram app within 30 seconds. And we have set a new habit where we release a new blog every Tuesday, every Thursday. Those are our publishing days. And so, uh, you know, check it out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You can do it right from your Instagram camp, uh, account on the link tree of Jim and John's bio. And we are always welcome to feedback. This time, I'm actually begging you. For feedback, I, I'm trying a new audio thing in the intro. You've, if you're a, a constant listener, you've already noticed. Just one word thing in the comment. Just say good, bad. I'll take anything. Yeah, we'd love to know. I would love to know. And uh, more than all that, we really appreciate you guys' time and for tuning in every week. And, and thanks to our patrons. We are really grateful for them and uh, appreciate it. Awesome. We will talk to you guys next week. 